When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Back for another week of Talking Ball with Coach Bob Wiley. Coach Wiley, it's great to have you back again. I love this. I look forward to this every week. This is one of the best times of the week for me. Well, I enjoy it too, Coach. And our, our guest this week has been on the podcast before. He's joining us uh, first time for this series that you and I are doing. And it's Jonathan Heimbach, who is now the coach of XFL Team Arlington, soon to be named. He's, he's got definitely a, a lot of stops along the way with all the FLs, so XFL, CFL, USFL. He's been in the XFL as a player, was there as a coach the last time it was around, was also in the AAF, and coached college football as well. So, Coach, it's great to have you here on the podcast again. Keith, it's awesome to be invited. It's great to talk and, and reconnect with Bob. I think he and I have just kind of rotated north and south of the border at all the different stops. I think, Bob, you and I have spent a number of years in the CFL, and it's awesome with with the new options and spring football leagues that are down south. Uh, I've I've had a chance to do it with the AAF, like you said, Keith, with the USFL and the XFL and now things starting back up that people want year-round football. And so I think it needs to be more than just once a week Bob Wiley podcast. I think this thing may need to be like a regular show that's going to push like on mainstream more than just on a podcast. So maybe maybe people want year-round ball. Maybe we need some year-round offensive line talk. I'll tell you that various adventures you have in this profession are unbelievable. And like Jonathan was saying, to go up in Canada, that that was one of the one of my fun times in life is being up there. And my first year up there was like oh seven. 07, we went to the Great Cup. 08, we went to the Championship Cup B. And then 09, I was with Saskatchewan. Now, I don't know, John, if you were in Montreal at that time. Played the Great Cup in Calgary. Were you coaching with Tress at that time? I was with Tress, yeah. We played the 2009. I was with him for three years, 09, 10, and 11. We played Saskatchewan, I think it was 09, in Calgary. Yep, and I was on the offensive line coach for Saskatchewan. Right, and we get down to the last play of the game. Now we were a twelve point underdog. We end up getting a pretty good lead at halftime and you guys chipped your way back into it. And then there's no time on the clock. Zero <laughs> up on the clock. Right? And they kick a field goal. Montreal kicks a field goal and they miss it. And everybody say, Oh, we won the Grey Cup and then from underneath the goalpost, both flags come flying out from underneath the goalpost. Mm-hmm. And the only reason those guys are there right, is to see if the ball goes through the uprights and count the number of guys on the field. That's it. Okay? And we had 13 guys on the field. Move the ball 10 yards closer, kick it again, we lose 28 to 27. <laughs> you want to you know the story. Now, that was, that was a heck of a game back and forth. You guys were – a great defense, yeah, ball control, and it was an awesome game back and forth. Came down to a final kick, and I'm talking to our kicker afterwards. After the fact, he says, hey, coach, I knew it. I saw they had an extra guy on the field, so I just took an extra chip shot and, uh, you know, missed it by a good 15 feet to the left, and then all of a sudden he knew he could re-tee it up and just crushed it right through the middle. So 
amazing how guys will have a different perspective uh, after the fact when once they know the well, uh, the press is off. But I'll tell you what, that was a hell of a game. That was a great experience to be up north of the border. There's the difference between, I think I may have talked about this a little bit uh, on one of the other shows. There's a difference about staying in the moment, getting caught up in the moment. When we did the research to try to find out how the hell we got too many guys on the field, there was four guys that were supposed to count. Four guys that were supposed to count every time the, the, the special teams go on the field. There's one guy in the box, two guys on the sideline, and one guy on the field. Nobody, not one guy counted. They got all caught up in the play. Instead of do your job, just do your job. If you do your job, we call timeout games. You know what I mean? We could have ran the guy off the field, all that kind of stuff. And it didn't happen. No, nobody did their job that what they were supposed to do. So that's that, that crazy stuff. That's something at, at every level, Bob. I mean, I know you and I have spent a lot of times at every different level. You know, my sons are in high school, and I'm getting a chance to be around with coaching in the, in the spring, with being in the XFL, and just finished the USFL. Now I'm getting to watch my boys play, and that's the thing. Just everybody do your job. You know, you, you find a lot of coaches that get on headsets at any level, and they'll start being commentators, and they'll start telling oh, yeah. you everything that happened out there instead of radio silence and speak when you're spoken to and stay within your role, stay within your limits, do what you're asked to do. And I think that's what's really cool about coaching the offensive line. Yeah. Those guys yeah. are – so different than any other position that you, you kind of live in that room and you live in that mushroom society and all those guys are together. And if they're functioning well, and all five guys are communicating well, like it's something that's, that it's unexplainable when they just have that camaraderie, that trust, that kind of homogeneous, just feel that they trust each other. And sometimes it's not even verbal and they're able to communicate and get stuff passed off and communicate what's coming. And, that's what's really cool about just coaching the O-line, whether it's pro ball, college, or at the high school level. It's, uh, it's neat oh, to see how they come together. Junior High, some of my best coaching ever, some of my hottest coaching that I really had. A, when you got the number one draft picks and you got the second, third-round guys, those guys are easy to coach. That, that's <laughs> not a, you know, you're not going to have too much problem with those guys, right? You know, if you keep the same guys together, one year at the Bears, they had the same offensive line for three years, I mean, you know, by the end of the third year, just roll the ball out and say, hey, guys, go play. We'll talk about what's going on later on. Go ahead. But I coached pop on football. I, I wasn't sure that when they broke the huddle that the center was going to line up on the ball and the two guards were going to line up on either side of him and the two tackles were going to line up. I wasn't sure that that was going to happen. <laughs> and then he, didn't, he didn't have any idea of where the defense was going to line up. None. <laughs> <laughs> That, that's the thing I, I've, had to learn, I've had to learn to adjust to, to your group, you know, and, and, you know, everybody learns a little different. Everybody comes from different places, but the last five times, the last five seasons I've coached offensive line, it's been, somebody has been new, either I've been new or it's been a startup league with the XFL, the USFL, the XFL in 2020 the Alliance of American football and the CFL when I was in Toronto in 2018, like it's amazing how you might not figure out your group or what makes them tick until you're halfway through the season, the lineup's going to change and a bounce. Who can do more? You know, can you play right? Can you play left? Can you play guard? Can you play center? Can you be the short yardage tight end? You know, who's the greatest communicator of the group. And a lot of times, it may be the best five, not the five best guys, but it's the best five that go in there. Yeah. And they got to function together. You may you may have a superstar. Hey, we drafted this guy first round. Well, sure, he's He may be the most talented, but the guys don't trust him. He ain't going in, or he's not going to last real long. And that, it's amazing, Bob. I'm sure you've seen it all over the place, how much the continuity that you got to put your best five on the on the field not just the five best athletes. You're, you're exactly right, Jonathan. He, when I was with the Raiders, in fact, I think you came and visited one day, if I'm not mistaken. The, mm-hmm. the, uh, we had five guys. There were no names. There wasn't anybody 
uh, you had a left tackle, Jared Valdez from Hinsdale College. The year before, Mr. Davis wanted us to play him at center. You know what I mean? And we finally got him moved out to left tackle. Right? And we had Sammy Satelli as the as the center. He come from the University of Hawaii. He's got two years in the league. Nobody knows who center is. The left guard we drafted as a rookie from Penn State. Steve Wisniewski was my assistant. And we drafted his nephew, Stefan. Okay? Mm-hmm. And Stefan was really a, a guy. And the right tackle was Khalif Bonds. And Khalif, he had like five or seven years in the league, something like that. But he only had five starts or seven starts in his whole career. And then we had Cooper Carlisle, who was on his 13th year. That was the line, right? We didn't, I mean, there were, there were just guys. But the thing that they did is exactly what you were talking about. They played well together. The chemistry that they developed between one another was astronomical. I mean, we broke nine Oakland Raider offensive records. We were the second most productive offense in the history of the Oakland Raiders. We mm-hmm. took them 29 sacks to fourth. We were number one in Russian uh, after eight games until McFadden got hurt, and then we put Michael Bush in. We changed the scheme. We went from running the zone plays to the gap plays. Okay, mm-hmm. for Michael, all right, and, and he finishes with 977 yards, and we finished sixth in Russia. But they were just guys that what they played well together. You know, your, your five is one. God, that is so great. That is such a great team. Your point about you changed, you went from running zone to gap schemes. I've had, I've had guys ask me all over the country, and they'll say, hey, what's, what's your best run? I said, it's not my best run. It's not my offensive line's best run. It's what the running back wants to run, because if he's comfortable, then we're going to be okay. You could have the best O-line and a, and a dog in the backfield. You're in trouble. But if, if you got a guy oh, yeah. that, hey, coach, I like running mid-zone. I like running – you know, under center more than being in the gun, then you better adapt as a coach and your old line better be ready to adjust. Cause we've all seen, Hey, we got a, we got a stationary quarterback who can't move. Well, all of a sudden you better start changing your set angles as opposed to a guy that can run in the backfield. So you got to be adaptable as an O lineman and you sure do have to be adaptable as an offensive line coach. Cause it don't matter how much you know if your guys don't know what they're doing and they're not working together with the O-line and with the running back, especially with the quarterback. You're only as good, like, like Paul Bedroy, I grew up with Paul, but he had some great running backs that he had. He had Barry Sanders for years. You know, and he had mm-hmm. some really good guys. Your running game is only as good as that kid back here. Sometimes you don't block anybody and the guy runs for 40 yards. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Hey, just you know, fall down and get out of the way. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's crazy. You know, it really is crazy. What what they do best. I firmly believe that, Johnny. We're on the same page with that. that is, you know what I mean? Doesn't, it doesn't matter. You don't need an ego and say, oh, we're, we're a zone team. But I, this is what drives me nuts sometimes. Too, somebody <laughs> think about this. I used to get asked a lot by the media. They said, well, these guys, were, these guys were signed and drafted because they were zone blockers. I said, I don't believe in that. I said, mm-hmm. they, they can be what they need to be when Amen. they need to be it. I don't understand what you guys, well, you know, they would be, you know, cable, they ran their own play. It doesn't matter. They can right. be the offensive linemen. They'll block what you want them to block. Just tell them what you want them to do. Try to get it done. <laughs> they work at it. That just own stuff. I said, no, no, they're not. They're offensive linemen. They, they'll do what you want them gap, you know, draws, doesn't matter, really, it doesn't. <laughs> There's no doubt. I mean, the, the best groups, the best guys are the ones that are servants, that they want to just, they want to serve, they want to help, they want to protect the quarterback, they want to protect the running back at all costs. When you got guys that are running down the field, picking up receivers, they just, yes. there's only yes. one position, there's only one position in any sport that uses a ball that does not look at the football, and that's the offensive line. They can't wait. They can't wait to get rid of the football. The center, I couldn't wait to snap that thing, get it, get rid of it, so I could get my hands on the nose guard. As a player, there, there's a trust factor, and there's a servitude that you want to help others get the whatever due justice or uh, you know whatever 
any any acclaim or anything like that. You want to live in the darkness and do your job and not be in the spotlight. And, you know, that's where you can build that accountability factor. And kind of the five is one mantra for me has been something I've used for years. I've had T-shirts made just kind of like get the guys their own something special to create an identity. And you think about five is one and the analogy of a fist, how strong that is with all five working together. And we've all seen that. If you poke somebody with one finger, all you do is piss them off. But if you hit someone with five, all clenched together, you're pretty powerful. And so I build every identity on wherever I've been, whether it's high school, pro guys, when I've been in the college game to say these five stand for something. And if you think about all five fingers, you know, you think about if you make a fist, but if you point the thumb at yourself, you want to be accountable. You want to be a thumb pointer, not a finger pointer. And if you can be accountable to your line mates and not let them down, that's a huge part of the mentality of building that persona. And then the pointer finger is leadership. If you can be a leader in the unit or on the offense or on the team, not always by vocal, but being a guy that's showing up early, doing the extra film study, staying late, stretching, diet, all those things, being a leader that way, being a guy that's accountable and being a leader. And then the middle finger. Sometimes you got to tell some people no and tell them, F you, that's not for me. Because, you, you know, for the high school kids, hey, sorry, I know I got plans with, with what's your name this weekend, but I got a game to play Friday night. Or, hey, I'm not going to the club as a pro guy. I got to be able to earn my trust to the line mates. And as an O-line coach, they got to trust you. You got to earn their trust. And then the ring finger is correlates with the commitment, you know, the commitment of marriage and how strong that bond is. But we all search, we all search for the commitment and the ring of a championship. And Bob, you've been on some great championship teams. I've been blessed to be around most recently in the USFL. We won the inaugural championship this past year. I've won three great cup championships. I mean, these are all from great teams, but it starts with a great offensive line and being committed to each other. And then the, the last finger, the pinky finger represents kind of the godfather, the, the pinky, the respect factor. You have to earn the respect of your teammates. And if you put all five of those things together, the O-line's a pretty special force and it's an awesome group to be around. So it's something that we've taken through wherever I've been, and then in this offseason, started to, to put it out there and create a, a brand, created a trademark and an LLC, and, and we've got an apparel company because I think O-linemen need, need to be recognized. And it's awesome to be able to talk some ball with you, Bob, and, and Keith, to be able to show how important that offensive line is because you can have great receivers, uh, you can have great quarterback, you can have great nose guard, three technique, but you got to have a, a stable group on the offensive line. And if somebody plugs in during the season, you got to bring them into your culture. And I think it's something that uh, that people are realizing how important the O-line is. I think what's interesting with both you guys in the situation you're going to be in is that, as you said before, just like you did in the USFL, you have a very short time to bring these guys together. Heck, you guys don't even know who your guys are right now <laughs> at this point, right? right. So that's something... That's a challenge. But when you look at it, I mean, that might be a microcosm of of what football is today everywhere. You look at the college level, it's the transfer portal. You look at the high school level now, open enrollment and and, uh, you know, maybe not as much the offensive line. But, you know, those opportunities do exist where kids move. And then, you know, we're in season now with high school and college and you have your group who you've You've built that chemistry with, and then all of a sudden an injury or two, and the group looks completely different. So the the challenge of the offensive line coach is to continue to build that in a dynamic situation. be nice if all those guys stayed healthy. You had them together for years, but the truth of the matter is you might get that group for one season, and the next year it looks completely different. So uh, I wanted to focus a little bit on that because we are in the heart of the season for uh, most teams around the country. It is Nice, as you said, Jonathan, to, to have some spring ball and get, getting to year-round football, and we'll certainly keep the conversations going. But thinking of that, let's start with the idea of that short time period. So for you guys, it's going to be camp, and then you're into it, and you're going to continue to build through the season. Right now, with, with teams who are into it, uh, they may have that short period to get this group of guys together before 
this next game, right? There may have been one or two injuries. You just never know. Uh, there's a high school team I watch every weekend now, and their offensive line is down two of the starters from the beginning of the season. So it's the, it is a dynamic that you have to deal with. So it's a five is one, but you have the understudies as well. So Coach Hanbach, I, I guess I'll start with you. Your thoughts on you know being able to do this in, in a situation that's not as static or maybe as slow moving with change as it was before? Yeah, I think it's, you know, rosters are, are flexible and you've got to be flexible. It's, it's rare to have a group that's going to be together for a full season. And I think it's, we're putting the best five on the field, but you try to create a culture and you try to create something that guys can feel like they're going to plug in and play and they don't want to let the other guys down. I think that accountability and dependability factor, because you're going to show up to camp the first day, and that's as good as you're going to feel the rest of the year. You're going to be exhausted. You're going to be beat up. Your your back's going to be hurt. Your elbows are going to click when you you know when, when you open the door. Your your feet are going to be barking. I mean, your body's going to be beat down. So you're going to have to use some other guys coming into the mix, coming into the fray. But I think the more you can try to create a culture where guys are are ready to hold up their end of the bargain and it's it's not just what happens on the field a lot of it's in the meeting room a lot of it is kind of the accountability factor bob and and guys are holding each other accountable if they jump off sides or if they're late to meetings or that they have an ma a missed assignment or they're doing something that they shouldn't be doing off the field that that culture is going to hold them accountable that they're doing the right things when it matters, when the whistle blows, when it's time to go. And when you coach pro guys, they hang out together. They commute in together. They drive together. They, they, they eat together. The more you can get the big boys to eat together, whether it's watching film first thing in the morning and you got, you know, breakfast sandwiches or burritos waiting for them. Or if you're doing like in the high school level, are you doing Sunday or Monday night, you know, pasta night or Thursday night, getting the guys together to do one more, look at film and all those things, just bringing them together. It just creates the trust factor within the group. So when one of those guys that may not be starting is asked to step into that lineup and then they're ready to go. So it's, it's just creating that bond. And that's such a big part of it. You know, the chemistry that you create in your meeting room is more important than any of the X's and O's you can draw on the board. Way Amen. more important than any. That chemistry that's created I was very fortunate to work for Earl Bruce. Earl was, I think, he's the fifth or seventh winningest coach in the history of football. And he wanted us to take our players home on Thursday nights. Take your players, get them out of here, get them home. Get them out of here. Watch Thursday night football. So I would just bring them to my place, and, and I'd stop and pick up about 20 pizzas, all right, and, and bring the pizza home. And, and those kids had a blast together. And it's amazing how much that they – how much of the camaraderie, how much they gel together. It, it truly is. They don't want to let each other down. That's what you're talking about. But the chemistry you create in that meeting room is more important than any of the actual Players don't care how much. I said this before. Players don't care how much you know. They really don't. Like, players care how much you care for them first. And then they're going to buy into what you're teaching, how you're trying to teach it, and then they buy in. If you can make them better as a coach, where they can stay in the league a little bit longer, another year, and make that amount of money. But the amount of money that they're going to make, they're not going to make that bounce with a ball in a gym. You know what I mean? Especially in the National Football League. You know, those guys are making millions of dollars up front, okay? Mm-hmm. And they want to stay in there as long as they can. And, and you mentioned earlier, Jonathan, about changing the lines and stuff. People, when you, the Kansas City Chiefs changed the whole offensive line. Remember that was last year, mm-hmm. so? Mm-hmm. I can't remember. It was last year or two years ago. They changed the whole offensive line. Okay? Yeah, they played pretty good with a brand new offensive line. Didn't they? <laughs> they sure did. You know, you know. So it, it's how fast they come together as a unit. But the chemistry in that meeting room between you and your players, and between the players amongst themselves, is really, really more important than if you're going to run the inside zone play. Or if you're going to have some type of slide <laughs> potential. You know, it doesn't matter. Those things don't matter. Right? People don't understand that. The line coaches understand that. 
But I think some of the other, they don't understand that that chemistry in that room, it really takes over. And then once you stop, once you've got that key guy, and that key guy takes charge of the room. And as a coach, you know, I used to love Friday afternoons because they, they would come in and they'd all sit down and they'd get some food from the cafeteria and they'd bring it in. And for the next two hours, they would go over every play in protection that we got. Because by that time on Friday afternoons, they got the whole offense of game plan in. And they would do that. And, I, and to watch them do that, to watch guys like Joe Thomas take, take over the meeting room or J.C. Tritter take over the meeting room. You know what I mean? That, that was really quite impressive to me. I would just sit back and watch them. At the time, I wasn't even in the room. Because I didn't want to screw them up. I get out of the room. <laughs> that was something when I was first in the Canadian Football League, Bob. I went up in 2003, and I was younger than some of the guys I was coaching. And these are Canadian vets that have been in the league for a long time, all-star caliber players. And and I had an older coach, Dave Levy, who was yeah, yeah. time UCLA, USC, Detroit Lions. Levy was my offensive line coach when I played in the original XFL in 2001. So Dave was my line coach, and I learned so much from Dave. We walked into training camp the first year, or the, my, my year in the XFL, and he gave us a blank spiral, three-ring notebook, playbook that had blank drawings with just the five offensive linemen and no defenses. And he said, I said, Coach, where, where, are, all the, where are all the calls? Where are all the, the lines? Where's all the plays? He said, no, 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 no. We're going to come up with that. I'm not going to hand them to you. We are going to come up with that. And, and I had never thought about football in that way. And Dave's one of the best mentors that I've ever had. But I, and, and when I walked in there, Dave told me, he said, he said, these guys just want to be coached. Don't try to tell them how much you know. Empower them to help prolong their careers, and they'll love you forever. And I've taken that everywhere I've gone, whether it's high school, pro guys, college guys, it doesn't matter, that if you can build that trust and if they believe you believe in them, they're, they're going to go to bat for you and they're, they're going to they're going to believe what you're saying. And it's awesome to see players take control of the meeting room because they know they're the ones out there on the line doing it. They're the guy that's going to get circled. They're the guys that's going to get their number called out from the rest. They don't look that. When when you have them in your heart and you sit in that meeting room and they're talking like you do Mm -hmm. among themselves, that's when you know you got them. Not by accent, but by, you know, the words (laughs) and terminology that you use. Because we just know R's in Rhode Island, C A R. That's it. You know, we don't have any R's. But when they start doing that, right, and then and you hear them, they put the they see on the video and they start talking about, hey, I'm going to hang in here. I'm going to I'm going to take a little deeper step here and buy some time, right? And then you you can bring the guy to me. Or okay, now in this protection, I'm going to come to you. Okay, and I mean when they start talking like that, I mean then you just sit back and don't mess them up. Just let them go. Right? That's it. You try to stand up in front of them and let you. My, my meeting room, you've been in my meeting rooms. My meeting rooms are not classroom style. My meeting rooms are conference style. I want, I want them to see each other. I don't want yeah. them to hide. You know, the guy in the back of the room makes a mistake. Those guys in the front of the room, they don't turn around and look at them. Right? Mm-hmm. But conference style, when they see each other. So you, you as a coach, you throw something out on the table and say, guys, how are we going to handle Look at this. What's going to happen over here? And then you mm-hmm. let them talk about it. Right? Right. And they take ownership of it, okay? And they'll they'll retain 75% more than they do if you stand up in front of them and try to lecture every day. They'll, you'll put them to fucking sleep. Excuse my language. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's no doubt. It's like when you you got kids or you got grandkids, right, Bob? And, uh, oh, yeah. You know, that, that first time you let your kid, hey, they're, they're riding their bike without the training wheels or – Hey, they're driving the car for the first time. There's a little bit of, of you're nervous. How are they going to do in that first scrimmage? How are they going to do in that first organized practice against another team? But then when you see them start to figure it out and, hey, all of a sudden, they're making those calls. They're checking protections. They're making different adjustments on line calls in the run game. And, and when you see that in a meeting room, you just see where it's going to be on game day, that they can – 
start to communicate, hey, what are you thinking here on this rep? How are we going to pass this? How are we going to protect this? How are we going to handle this run stunt? And like you said, there's a time to just shut up and let them run it because they're the ones that are out there, not us. I'm really into this part, and you probably know it already anyway. Okay, what you don't tell them is just as important as what you do tell them. Because mm-hmm. you can't tell them everything you know. You're going to mess them up. Right. You're going to mess that kid up. Okay, you're going to mess them up pretty badly. So what you don't tell them is just as important as what you do tell them. And and mm-hmm. I think a lot of the young coaches don't realize that. You know, they try to tell them everything they know. Whoa, don't do that to the kid. It's too much stuff. Like that. You play right. golf, it's like a golf swing. Too many parts to it. Uh, you can't do that to the kid. And right. So. I got a question for you guys. Again, both of what you're facing here, and, and I think you both brought it up, right? That guy who essentially is the the ringleader, right? You're in a situation, as I said before, you don't even know who the guys are right now. You're going into all of you, them and, and, and the coaches, situation where nobody knows each other. For you, how is, is that process of figuring out, like, this might be the guy. This might be the guy who's going to bring everything together in lead, how does that develop for you? Well, stop practice the, the, the retention that they have and the knowledge that they have of the game. But there's a personality, I believe, that's involved in how that kid and how the other kids attach themselves to the mm-hmm. lead wolf. Does that make sense? How who's going to be the aid, you know, the alpha dog? Okay, and you got to kind of let them figure that out. You're going to watch and you're going to get a feel for the room. And you're going to say, okay, this is the guy that they all talk to, that they all look up to. He's got knowledge. He's well-liked. He's work, a hard worker. You know what I mean? Come, like, like Jonathan was saying earlier, he comes early, he stays late. He does the right things right. Just don't do the right things. Do mm-hmm. the right things the right way, period. Right? And you, you've got to find – and the only way you find that is to have those guys – Keep hanging around with each other. Keep staying together like Jonathan was saying in the beginning. Okay? And then one of those guys is going to surface. You don't know which one is going to be. Okay? But one of those guys will surface. And then you, you as a coach, are going to say, okay, I'm going to have to rely on this guy to take control of this role. So I don't know. Jonathan's going to differentize I don't know. Well, it's interesting when you, you walk into a new group, like I had in the USFL, like I had in, in Tampa, and with the XFL last time, and they're all trying to, it's pro ball. They're all trying to make the roster. So they're going to nod their head at everything you say. And yes, sir. Got it. Yes, coach. Yes, coach. Yes, coach. But when they go do it on the field, right? Okay. You can tell me in a meeting room, you got it. You can draw up every single rule. You know it all. You know all the calls. But when live bullets start flying, the true colors show up. And it may be the guy that's been just, quiet in the room and studying instead of the guy that's up there grandstanding and barking. And it's the guy that they trust in the line of fire that they're going to follow. If you're jumping off sides and you're firing snaps over the quarterback's head, or if you're having MAs, they ain't going to listen to you. So those guys got to build that accountability and trust based on producing on the field. And when you get a bunch of guys that put the ego inside and say, Hey, I'm not the, it's about us. It's about we, not me. Then you got a good group. And Keith, you may not know until about week three or week four in the season. The sooner you can get to it, the better. The more competitive situations you can put them in, you'll find out more about them. That was one of the hard things in the USFL is we only drafted eight players. Eight O-linemen were on the team and drafted. There were no cuts. Mm. So those guys knew they were on the team. Now, they were trying to lobby to be who was active and who was inactive because there was going to be one guy down and everybody else is up, seven guys active. If you have real cuts and you've got a real depth chart and you can start moving guys around, then it's going to be who who are the guys that they rely upon, that they trust, the guy next to them, to say, hey, I want to play with that guy. He's not going to get any ear holes when they run a twist. He's going to check the protection the right way to keep the quarterback upright. So the sooner you can put them in competitive situations, the faster you'll find your group. When you're faced with the situation I mentioned before, right, the, the injury, 
when the injury happens to that guy, and we've had this situation before, how do you encourage that next guy to step up? I've seen a lot where that guy will almost become your your assistant coach on a field that week, right? He's not going to let these guys down, but he's also not on a field where the bullets are flying. So how are you, I guess, looking for that next guy at that point to step up? How does that evolve for you? In my experience, it's the guys on the unit are going to take him under their wing and they're going to try to protect him. You know, and you just think about, hey, I got a, I got a new guy thrown in the mix. Like, if you're the center and you got a new left guard, I know exactly where the help's going to go when my center's uncovered, right? I mean, that's just one the the herd protecting their new one out there. Um, mm-hmm. And I think one of the things that you try to do as a coach is that you try to keep them confident. Yeah, they're going to have mistakes, but you can't go berserk on a new guy that's going in the mix, like. That was one of the things Mike Berry, who was my offensive line coach when I played at USC, Coach B always said, he said, hey, you got enough enemies. Now, I'm going to wear you out. I'm going to chew you up and spit you out during the week. But on game day, I'm going to be your best friend because you got enough going on out there. So if you just try to create comfort that that guy knows that you can put your arm around him as a coach when he comes off the field and say, okay, you know, you, you went the wrong way. I need you to do this. You know you and I know you're a better player than that instead of yelling and screaming and dog cussing him right in front of the whole stadium, he's going to react a lot quicker to some reinforcement rather than wearing him out in front of everybody. But I think the unit is going to really try to take him in. And the guy that's injured, the guy that's hurt, he's going to cheer him on because he wants, he wants him to do well, but shoot, he wants to get back in the mix too now. So he wants the unit to function, but he wants to get a spot back as soon as he's healthy. So the more you can build everybody uh, up together, the, the better they're going to be in the long run. The play that makes a mistake, right? Gives up a sack, gives up a pressure, goes the wrong way. But that's going to happen in a game. I don't care how hard you coach them. It doesn't matter, right? And you don't want it to happen. But they're going to give up sacks. Somebody's going to make a mistake. Somebody's going to go the wrong way. That, that, and how do they react to that? If you're yelling and screaming at them, they're not listening. You, they can't be afraid to fail, but Coach Brown used to tell us, we teach them, don't tell them. Keep teaching them. Keep talking to them. And it's how they react to the mistakes. How do they come back from the mistakes? Are they in a, a fixed mindset or are they in a growth mindset? You keep yelling at the players. I remember years ago, back in the early 80s, I, I'd go to camp with Jimmy McNally, and, and I'd be yelling at the guys. And then Coach Brown said one day to me, he says, Coach, he says, they don't know when you're mad at them. And he was absolutely right. From that day on, just coach them. Just teach them. Let's keep teaching and coaching them. They need mm-hmm. to be in a relaxed state out there. They can't be afraid to fail where they're going to worry about what's going to happen on the next play. Am I going to step at the right foot, left foot, where my eyes go, where my hands go? What's the line going to be? Where's the safeties? Where's that backup? I mean, they got a whole bunch of stuff to worry about. Well, and if you keep pounding the guy, you're going to really hurt the kid, in my experiences. So you got to get them. you got to fix the mistakes and move on. And the kid has to learn how to flush it with my signature. It's my signature. you got to flush it. Get rid of it. It's no good to you. Learn from it, get rid of it, and play the next play. You don't know what the play after that's going to be. The last play's gone in ancient history. The only thing that you can do is stay in a moment. What's going to happen right now? Mm-hmm. I, I think Jonathan is the toughest thing to teach. The toughest thing to teach is to get them to stay in that moment because the male ego takes over, and they want to go beat the hell out of the guy in front of them. Yeah, well, we may not ask you to do that. You may be pulling out on a crack sweep, or you may be pulling on a screen, or we may be in a draw situation. You may not get off the ball and hit that guy in the mouth for four or five plays. Mm-hmm. And if you let that inside of you, it's only going to get worse. The way you guys describe it is that you're immediately building confidence when this situation's hit. The alpha dog's on the sideline. Those other four guys that's new for them, the, the guy who was always leading them, the guy who was vocal, the guy who really was the glue is out now. They got this new guy. And I think when you take that approach, 
where you're not riding that guy, where you're showing the confidence in him, where you're patient with him, they follow suit. You set the example for them. And what's great about offensive line, I think the magic in these this unit is that you said it before. These guys are servants, man. They're going to serve each other. That's just inherent in playing the position, right? They don't get the ball. As you said before, they don't look at the ball. So when you can set the tone as the coach right away, that you're not on this guy and hypercritical of him, and maybe he is not as good as those other guys, but you're showing confidence in him. The other guys pick up on that, and I agree. They're, they're going to have his back right away, and I think that's exactly what you talk about with five as one. Let me intervene here just for one quick second for Jonathan. He probably knows this anyway. You talked about the wing finger on five and one. The mm-hmm. Romans, the Romans believed that you were your wing finger on the left hand, on that ring finger on the left hand, because there's a vein that goes from that finger that goes right up to your heart. That's, that's why right. it's on that. Like, that's why it's on the left hand when the, the wedding ring is on the left hand, because the woman believed that there was a there's a vein that, that goes from that finger and it goes up your arm and goes right into your heart. So I thought that was really kind of unique when you mentioned that. It's absolutely fantastic. No, it, it, Bob, I think it's, you know, it's one of those things. You, do, you just got to find ways to help motivate guys every single day. And that's something that I played offensive line. And, you know, sometimes people see it as the last stop before the bus stop. It's like, well, I used to play tight end. And I used to play D-line and, you know, one of those things, it's kind of like some kids in high school and some guys in college, they kind of see it as, oh, well, I'm not going to get the ball anymore. Shoot, I loved it. I got to move to center and I got the ball every play. I was like, come on, man. You got to love playing center. You're the only dude that gets the ball every play. They're going to have some wildcat quarterback back there that the QB won't touch it every play. Hey, man, you got to take pride in that. And that's just one of the things when you talk about, you know, the offensive line and creating a culture, Bob, and, and having a, a meeting room and a locker room and an area where the guys eat together, where it's like no one else would dare come in the O-line meeting room, probably because it stinks so bad. But the other thing is those, those guys, they got to have the pulse of your team because they're strength in numbers. It's the largest position on the offense. Typically, there's one coach. I mean, I've coached tight ends before, and I was bored out of my mind. I'm coaching one guy, and I'm over there micromanaging that one tight end, and I'm looking over at the O-line coach. He can only see one, maybe two guys at a time on a play. And it's such a big part of the offense, a big part of the team, that when you can create this culture in your offensive line room, that the five is one mantra, hey, it's you know the all for one, one for all, that type of mentality, but when it's something that's respected on the team and I love head coaches that just, it's not about, Hey, what'd you do in the stats? Hey, we're going to, we're going to make sure the bigs eat first or the big boys get on the bus first, or they get the the big spot on the plane. You know, they get the first class seats and and the coaches go sit in the back. And you you love head coaches that are, you know, that are going to exemplify and, and make it about, the offense and the, the big boys on the D line. Hey, let those guys dictate this team. And the five is one trying to build it and create just confidence in those units within those guys to say, you're a part of something bigger. And that's kind of where the five is one.com. And it's the number five, a S O N E.com. And there there's info on there in regards to not just about, Hey, selling t-shirts and hoodies and hats and all that stuff. It's about creating culture. And that's the thing that is, is really special. And you see it more and more on social media and, and, and on TV, people are talking about it more and more and how important that is to the offense. Cause you know, injuries are going to happen to skill players, but man, if you've got a solid group of O linemen that's got each other's back, then you got a chance out there. You, you got a fighting chance in the rest. Is, is coaches get out of the way and let this team run itself. That is absolutely 100% correct. Those five guys playing with one hot beat. The offensive line, and I'm probably biased and so is Jonathan, that's the best room to be in. It mm-hmm. is absolutely the best room to be in. There's really, there's no prima donnas in those guys. There's no really bad guys. And usually your best 
offensive linemen are guys that are a little mischievous. They get themselves in kind of like Owen Cruz. I mean, he, he used to drive me crazy, but he's a hell of a football player. Oh, my God. Yeah. You know what I mean? And he, you know, we used to travel with the off the duty FBI SWAT team. You know, yeah. and that was the guys that would. So we go to a hotel. I used to tell guys, okay, guys, if you can get by these guys and you go out, I'm going to be impressed. That's going to impress me. But I don't want just one guy to go away. I want all of you guys to go. If you all can go get by these guys and come back, that's going to really impress me. <laughs> <laughs> Usually those type of guys are, are your best players. They, they, yeah. they have some life in them. They have some mischief and stuff in them. They, they, uh, they have some fight in them all the time. You talk about motivating the play. I never had a motivate Owen. Not one time. Not one mm. time. But I have to, he, 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 he was truly, you would have loved coaching him. You know what I mean? He was truly a really, really unique player to, to be around him to coach. Mm-hmm. And he was, a, he was actually the leader of the whole team. It wasn't Alaka. It wasn't Jimmy Miller. It wasn't any of those guys. It was Owen. Owen controlled offense and defense really unique kids to be around those are the kind of guys no. you get in the offensive line ball you know no. they're, they're, they're absolutely fun to be like you enjoy getting up going to work and going and being in a woman it's not a, a miserable you know oh, I gotta go and be with these guys it's, that never happened that never happened I, I, that been around a long time that never happened you can't wait to get in a room with your guys Right. I think one of the cool things I got to spend some time with Olin this off season. And he said when he was a young guy coming up, he was watching, uh, I think it was Tom Nalen. And he said, if Tom Nalen's in there taking a whole notebook, filling a notebook of, of notes, then I guess I better get my butt doing the same thing too. Cause if a guy like that, who's a vet that's been in the league that long, it's taking that many notes and asking that many questions and not just sitting back, you know, with a dip and sunflower seeds that that guy's that involved, then I better get my stuff together and figure it out because you can't fake your love of the game. And that's the thing that Olin played with that passion. And one of the things I heard him say, he said, if you're not studying the defensive coordinator and the people in his tree that you're going against, and what calls he uses in the red zone, and what pressures he uses, how he adjusts the formations, then you're not making your five guys better. He's talking to himself as the center, but he's also talking to every offensive line coach out there. You better have the answers for your guys before it even happens. He was wonderful to be around in that coach. (laughs) And I take him to training camp with me. I took him to the Browns training camp with me. And J.C. Turner said, I learned so much from being around Owen. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Just how to prepare to play the game. Just how to prepare. I used to tell Owen, I said, Owen, you play like you're defending the island. You know, because yeah. you're from Hawaii. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, you know, and that's uh, like he's coaching high school football now. He called me, I said, hey, can I take your training tapes? And said, oh, you can have anything I got. Take it. You know, and I said, he said, yeah. are you going to come up and play golf with me? I said, oh, he's going to promise not to strangle anybody. I come up and play golf with you. <laughs> hey, Guys like that make you a really good coach, Bob. Coaching guys oh, yeah. like that have that passion. That's awesome to coach those guys for sure. You know, and you, you mentioned how he took notes, right? He was 100% correct. That's what he did, okay? But and the other guy that I was around all the time was Anthony Munoz. Anthony did the same thing. It seems like the great ones figure it out. They figure it out. Anthony took notes from the first year in the league to his last year in the league. He'd come mm-hmm. in, open his notebook, and start writing down. I mean, there's a reason those guys. Here's another one for you. I think I said this before, Joe Thomas. All right? Same way. The way he prepared was amazing. He had mm-hmm. little five-by-seven cards from every play. And then on the back of the card, he had the corrections of what could happen with that defense in the picture that he saw and how mm-hmm. he was going to make the correction. He's absolutely amazing. And one day... We're walking through the field house to go on to the practice field. Like, and I go walking through there, and it's Joe. We've got this place where there's a boxing area, but there's a ball on a cable. And you hit the ball, and the cable moves all around. 
with the mm-hmm. law, right? And Joe's standing in front of it with his inside hand hitting the ball. The ball's moving. He's just striking the ball. Now, he's got like 12 years in the league. So I, mm-hmm. I put the young guy. I said, guys, the young guys, look at that. How long has he been around? How many all-pro wins does he have? Right? And he still does that. He still makes himself better. You guys have to understand that. And here's another thing for the media room I think you do it too, Jonathan. Joe would say something to the guy sitting next to him. You know, it's something on the film. So Joe would say something. So I, when the first couple of times he did it, I stopped the meeting. I said, Joe, like, I don't want you to talk just to him. If you've got something to say, and I don't mind you talking to the, to the, to the group, okay? I want everybody to hear what you have to say because they can maybe use it someday in some situation. You know what I mean? So use your guys like to help the other guys. And it's okay. You can do that. There's no doubt. I'll tell you what, guys. I really enjoyed this conversation, and I really got to be a, more of a fly on the wall with this one, but that's okay. Some great stuff here with uh, everything you do with five as one, and, and you know we'll definitely be watching the XFL when uh, Team Vegas and Team Arlington face off this year. And Coach Heimbach, I'm sure you want to get that that playoff beard going again. So. Uh, <laughs> Hey, hey, if I can't grow it on my head, I got to put it elsewhere. So, you know, I don't want the longest hair of my body to be on my back. So I got to grow it uh, on my face. So that's, that's the deal. We, we, as long as things are going well, we ain't shaving. Here's what, here's what my dad used to tell me. My dad used to tell me just almost the opposite does. And he would say, you shave every day and you won't get wrinkles when you're old. I said, oh, shit, that's a great idea. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Coach Heimbach, I really appreciate you taking the time today. I know you you got to head out to practice, uh, working with your son here. and But we appreciate you taking the time. And Coach Wiley will be back at it again next week with Kyle Kasky. I'll be in touch with you about the cool stuff, okay? Hey, no, no doubt. It's awesome. I love it. Okay. Yeah. Well, hey, we're getting the uh, we're getting the 5 is 1 brand out there, trying to, you know, trying to show something, give the big boys some love out there. So, High school coaches have got some guys doing, like we'll do, we've got kind of black and gray and white, just base colors. But if high school coaches want to do something special for their offensive line or kind of reward t-shirt or something for the whole group, like I'd love to do stuff like that. And so guys, please reach out, whether it's, you know, my contact info or it's on the website, fiveis1.com, being able to put something out there to make it special for the big boys. Cause there's nothing more pure and that we'd love to just show more than the the big boys and giving them some love. So it's awesome. Great to talk to you guys. Thanks.